With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the first edition here of ATS.io Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'm joined today by professional handicapper Kyle Hunter of Huntersportspicks.com. I'm sure you know us from Bang the Book Radio, but we're migrating here over to ATS for the college football, NFL, and subsequent seasons. Kyle, how's it going today, man? It's going good, man. Uh, Things a little bit different here, and uh, we've gone through a, what, six-month period where things have been very different. So uh, it feels a little different than before, but it's really good to talk to you again, man. Yeah, man, it's good to chat with you, too. And, uh, yes, it it feels very different, to say the least, here. Uh, I'm going to try not to say bang the book every five minutes here on this show. I'm going to try to get ATS.io radio uh, to come a little bit more free-flowing here uh, than it feels so far. But we're also going to be adding some video components here from the podcast. We talked about adding some more video stuff over at ATS.io, but I wanted to keep the integrity of the podcast, the show that, in fact, Kyle and I have done since 2013. Um, you know, I just want to keep that long-form, more detailed audio version, but we're going to highlight some things here throughout the course of the podcast that we will put up over on our ATS.io YouTube page and also have those videos posted over at the ATS website as well. Um, I don't think we need to do the background. A lot of the same subscribers that we've had from Bang the Book probably migrating over. The new people will get to know us as we move forward here. But, Kyle, you mentioned it. You know, the, the last six months here have been a little you know, a little under six months, with about the second week of March, kind of when things sort of fell apart. But you know, we didn't even think that we were going to get a college football season for a long period of time. Usually both of us you know, very invested in the season win total market, but – Man, the lead up to this season and, and obviously everything about 2020 just dramatically different. Yeah, this has been uh, something that we've never seen before. Uh, I don't know that anybody's really seen it. I know uh, the two of us have definitely never seen this before. And I remember the show where we did right at the end of, uh, what was it, college basketball conference tournament time. We, we spent quite a bit of time breaking down those conference tournaments and then some of them tip off and then everything's just shut down. I know that was a pretty big bummer for me. I love that time of the year, March Madness. Uh, And then, you know, like you said, we didn't even know if this was going to happen. And I love the win total market in college football, but it's hard to invest too much in the win total market this year. And, you know, I did my NFL prep first this year, which is definitely the opposite of what I usually do because I was more confident the NFL was going to happen than college football. Uh, So we'll, we'll see what happens. But, you know, here we are. I'm glad college football is back. So it's good that we have something to talk about. Yeah, it definitely is. And and let's start by talking about power ratings here because that's you know kind of a major tenet of both of our handicapping styles. We like to get our power ratings, we like to have our evaluations of these teams and then put together our own spreads uh for each week here. And you know, the power ratings process was certainly more challenging here this year because you know, you didn't have spring practice. You didn't have a whole lot of you know public knowledge in the lead up to the season. You had some roster turnover. You had some COVID opt outs. A lot of coaches always on the move. And also, too, we didn't know who would actually play. Both of us in Big Ten country. Both of us Ohio State Buckeyes fans. 
not getting the Buckeyes, even though Ohio high school football being played and the Cincinnati Bearcats are playing. That's a story for another day. But you and I like to use the power ratings process from a handicapping standpoint. And you you and I, we just kind of fall into rhythm having done it for so long. But this year, a different set of timelines here leading up to the season. So what did your power ratings process kind of look like? It looks way different than normal. I've been so cautious. And you and I have talked about this, you know, I like to try to be early in my prep for all the seasons. I have not been early in my prep for this college football season. Um, I knew that there were going to be players opt out. I think actually there's probably been a little bit less of players opting out than what I would have guessed, especially when we, if you look back into August and saw all the Patriots opting out in the NFL, and I, I thought that there might be kind of a mass exodus. And there were a decent amount of people opt out, some key guys for some teams, but not quite as many as I thought there might be. At the same time, also, I wondered if uh, things might change as far as, you know, who was going to play, who wasn't going to play. It still could happen. Look, I think this year we got to be ready for whatever comes our way. But for me, it's it's been different. I've been going conference by conference for power ratings. Um, Usually by now I would have been, uh, you know, fired on all kinds of win totals. I bet one win total so far this year. So uh, very strange uh, for me. I've been trying to put a lot into the coaching this year, you know, um, how I rate coaches. I think we've talked about this before, that um, coaching and power ratings, uh, a lot of people put a pretty similar number for the coaches, and I try to uh, vary the coaches quite a bit to start with. But to me, I think coaching is going to be even more important this year because, uh, you know, how are you going to prep a team when everything that's been going on, you have less spring practice, Um, Some of the guys that you thought were going to be there aren't going to be there now. I think uh, those steady coaches that you know are going to get the teams ready uh, better are are guys that I'd rather uh, bet on this year. I also think that, you know, kind of is maybe a little bit of a different discussion, but I think that the first-year coaches or first-year coordinators could have a little bit of a hard time this year because they didn't have near as much time to prep for their scheme. So I think that's something to keep an eye on as well. Yeah, I think so too. You know, you think about a situation like Mississippi State with a guy like Mike Leach. I mean, they're just, they're completely changing everything. And you, know, you think even last year with all the prep time that Georgia Tech had, and they're a team in action this week against Florida State, they're getting double digits on the road. You know, that's a team that went from an option attack to more of a traditional offensive style. And they had all their spring practices. They had the summer camps. They had, you know, their fall camps and lead up to the season. And their offense was still pretty bad. So now you think about these teams that haven't had a lot of reps, and you certainly worry about them with first-year coordinators, different schemes, new coaches, all that type of thing. And to your point, Kyle, you know, for me, what I do with power ratings, and we'll talk about your process here in a second, I do basically a scale of about 40 to 100 as far as the FBS teams go. I do position power ratings, and these are posted over at ATS.io. So you can go check out my power ratings for all 76 teams that are currently or expected to be in action here for this season. 15 for quarterbacks, 15 for offensive, and 15 for the defensive lines, and then 15 for coaching. So 15% of my power rating of a team made up of the coaching, not just the head coaches, but the coordinators as well. And maybe this year, 15%, not even enough, because as you said, you're going to have teams trying to get ready on the fly. You're going to have guys that wind up sitting out because of contact tracing and all these types of things. Coaches will most definitely be earning their money this season. Yeah, and I I do mine on a similar scale. I think 
uh, where I try to differ a little bit from other people is just that I, I actually, um, on the lines, uh, I try to, on offensive and defensive line, I try to vary those a little bit more too. I know some people are, are very cautious about uh, varying the offensive line and defensive line that much. I think you and I feel similarly on this, that uh, those lines are pretty pretty important. You know, these guys start getting banged up, especially depth there. So, um, you know, I'm very cautious with with just saying, oh, let's just skip over the offensive and defensive line. We'll put a, a generic number in there. I think that's pretty dangerous in today's football. You know, you, you see offensive line injuries in those clusters, and you can see some teams have some really big problems. So uh, we do our similarly, similarly, I think that, Coaching, you know, I started out when I did this here a few years ago. Um, coaching was all pretty similar. You know, I had a lot of tens, uh, you know, nines, things like that. And I've gotten to where I've varied it more and more. This year is going to be the most varied my, my power ratings have ever been on coaches. And like you said, it's not just head coaches. It's offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators. I don't like some of the hires I've seen on a defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator. Others I feel like are kind of home run hires. So, uh, I try to vary those more than I did in the past. You and I do our power ratings very similarly. And what I do as far as starting out with those is I look at the end of last year's number, try to adjust from that. So this year's been a little bit more complicated because, you know, like I said, there's there's been some people opting out that you expected would be there. So that has you know changed things up quite a bit. And for me, Clemson and Ohio State would have been tied in my power ratings at the top. Ohio State not playing right now. Like you said, that's a different different story for a different day. But, you know, Clemson has a pretty big edge over everybody else. Yeah, I have Clemson a two-point favorite on a neutral over Alabama, six-point favorite on a neutral over Georgia, Oklahoma number four in my power ratings, Florida number five, and again, missing teams from the Big Ten, the Pac-12, the Mountain West, uh, and the MAC in those power ratings. But um, you know, again, one of the things that's really interesting, and, and I also went off of last year's numbers trying to figure out returning production, all those types of things. And you sort of wonder here, without the rhythm leading up to this season, without as many reps, you know, not as many scrimmages, I, you know, I don't even know what some of the rules were for some of these teams in terms of hitting in practice and stuff like that, you know, in terms of being in close contact. Uh, you know, it is a very difficult thing. And you know, we'll talk about that a little bit more here as we go forward in terms of the bad tackling that we saw last week uh, and some of the gameplay that we'll wind up seeing. But you know, as I mentioned here, we're going to do some highlight clips, some highlighted topics and games here on the audio version of the podcast that will be translated into videos over at ATS.io and on our ATS.io YouTube page. And Kyle, we just got done talking about power ratings. And if you're only watching the video, I certainly encourage you to listen to the full audio of the podcast. But we talk about power ratings and, and what we try to do there is we come up with a number. We come up with our game spread so that if the number early in the week that's out there in the betting market is far enough off from ours, we can pounce on that game because we expect that line to move in the direction of our power ratings. That's a concept called market entry, and we'll talk about it a lot here on the podcast as we go throughout the football season. But there's an increased risk in getting involved in these games early in the week now, Kyle, with COVID-19, with the positive tests and the contact tracing and all of that. So... Are you going to use your power ratings and those numbers that you create in the same way to enter the market early in the week this year? Uh, that's, that's a great question. I think market entry is going to be the biggest um, question mark as far as what is the right way to do it this year compared to past years. 
um, generally, I really like to enter the market early. You know, I want to get my line uh, that I like early in the week before everybody gets to knock it back to where it should be in most cases. You know, there's going to be a lot of money moving. I know there's plenty of people betting these games now. I do think that you'll probably see less moves early in the week because of what we're talking about. I know that for myself, you know, betting sides, uh, I bet more totals than I do sides. And, you know, I've said that many times on the show before. I'm definitely better at totals than I am at sides. I think I'll still bet totals early in the week more often than not. At the same time, sides, you, you put a big bet on a side and, and a quarterback, you know, um, has to sit out for quarantine or contact tracing reasons for COVID, um, you're going to be in trouble. I mean, I, there are some cases where, I mean, you could flat out just basically be ripping up your ticket early in the week. I'm going to be very cautious about betting sides early in the week. I think that uh, this may not be the season to try to be too brave about grabbing those early week um, sides because, yeah, I mean, what what are you going to lose? You might if you lose a point and a half or or two points of value there, uh, it still might be better than than the uh, chance of the line swinging seven or eight points the other way because several uh, key players are sitting out. And I think we saw that right away with the Austin P game in the first week that something like that could be a real issue this year. So especially in certain parts of the um, country, I think that's something to consider as well. You know. Uh, where things are going worse when it comes to COVID, it's more likely that those those um, schools are going to have more issues with uh, guys sitting out. So I think that that, you know, here we are in 2020, I didn't really expect that we'd be handicapping COVID in some way. But you know, I feel like that is, um, to some degree, something that we'll have to look at. You know, um, what areas of the country is this more likely to happen? What conferences are this more likely to happen? And also, you know, as things come out, we might find out that some schools or some conferences have a little bit different rules for how often they get tested or how many uh, players have to sit out for how long. So uh, it's definitely part of the equation now. And I think when it comes to market entry, I'm just going to be a lot more cautious. I think I'll probably play less sides this year than I have in the past because um, I just think there's more questions. You know, uncertainty is not a a very good thing to have when you're betting uh, the sports market. So you know, uncertainty is not the friend of the stock market. It's not your friend in sports betting as well. I think that there's so much uncertainty that you're better off waiting till later in the week, even if you might miss the very best line. Well, and that's the thing, too. You know, we talk about the handicapping process and, and what we try to do, and we try to handicap as much variance out of a game as we possibly can. I mean, you know, sometimes you just fall on the wrong side of variance. Sometimes you're on the right side of variance, but we try to handicap to a certain degree of certainty, to a certain level where we feel comfortable and confident. And this year, that's going to be very difficult to do, you know, with COVID, with contact tracing, with all the testing and all those types of things. And, you know, something else that you kind of mentioned there that that I want to uh, elaborate on a little bit is that, you know, closing line value. It's one of those things that out here in the marketplace, a lot of people talk about, a lot of people preach for a variety of different reasons. I mean, the better the number you get, the more likely you are to win. You know, over the course of the year, when you look at your tracking, when you look at your results, you see how much you beat the closing line by, you're going to have a handful of games that you won that you would have lost or maybe pushed if you had gotten, you know, a worse number or had taken the closing number. And that's kind of the dilemma that we have this year is how do you weigh that risk reward of, you know, okay, my power rating on this game is two and a half, the line's five and a half. I'm going to play it because I'm getting key numbers of three and four. 
yeah, you almost always want to do that in that scenario. And maybe people will this year, maybe just bet smaller amounts on it. But that's something you have to factor in is, you know, you may get that two and a half. All of a sudden, as you said, a quarterback who's worth a touchdown to the line comes off the board. That team winds up becoming an underdog. Yeah, you got your closing line value, at least your expectation of closing line value. And then something crazy happened. And all of a sudden, you're minus two and a half. You could have gotten it plus two, plus two and a half, plus three. So it's a tough line to walk here because, again, it is so it, – it's drilled into all of us that are in this business. Get closing line value. Get the best line that you can. It's possible this week or this season that we don't know what the best line is going to be because, you know, there may be a lot of these positive cases. Now, also, though, with that being said, what if there aren't as many cases as we think? What if this is a situation where these teams and these players are following the protocols that they're supposed to be following, and maybe we lose a line that was a good number because we're worried of something that's happening a small percentage of the time? So, again, obviously 2020 is unique in so many ways, and talking about it in a betting context seems small in the greater scheme of everything, but market entry is a challenge this year, man. It's very, very difficult, and... I don't really know what the right answer is until we start seeing not only what happens with line movements, but also what happens with the positive test rate and how many guys start sitting out from contact tracing. Yeah, I think that there isn't any perfect answer to this. I think you'll get a lot of different answers if you ask a lot of different people this question. I do think as we talk about it, you know, it could make some sense to put a small amount down on a big uh, difference that you have from the line early in the week. And, you know, just waiting to put the rest of the money on it, uh, depending on what kind of news breaks throughout the week. Obviously, you you might not get the same number on it, but, you know, I don't know how much you really want to hit it for the max early in the week this year. Because, you know, if if you're trying to put down a bunch of money and and something like that happens, you're going to be kicking yourself. I mean, in some of those cases, like you said, you go from a minus three to a plus three, and maybe you don't even like the plus three then. You know, it's, it's very possible. So. Um, you know, I think that, you know, this is this is something we're going to have to adjust to as we go. And, you know, I think it might be good to kind of us to follow up on this conversation as we go throughout the course of the season, because as we see how things go, how many instances, how many times this happens, might have to kind of adjust how we do this. Well, and the last point I'll make here about this, and I'll get your thoughts on it, then we'll move on, is, you know, a lot of times, too, a lot of people like to dive into the market early in hopes that maybe they get a middle opportunity, you know, uh, not as much arbitrage in college football as you may see in a sport like baseball, you know, money line sport or the NHL, something like that. But you you like to take that early position on a game that's got some line value, then sort of see where it goes, decide if you get a middle opportunity, if you want to play it, decide if you want to buy off of it and just drink the juice. And I sort of wonder if, if some of the, you know, the, the modeling crowd, some of the people that, you know, like us put together their own numbers, if they just go ahead and take what they perceive to be line value and sort of worry about it later on. You know, it's sort of one of those things like I always say in baseball, because I'm a big baseball guy, you know, you use your best relievers that day, you win that game today, you worry about tomorrow the next day because you might score 10 runs and not need any of your best relievers. So I kind of wonder if maybe that concept applies to market entry this year where some betters are going to say, you know what, this is off from my number, I'm going to take it, and if something happens, then I'll worry about it later. And that all depends on your risk profile, on you know how much risk management you want to pursue throughout the course of the season, but 
maybe in some respects you could say that some betters make it an advantage if they jump into the market early. It's certainly possible, and I think we should say that it depends on what kind of difference you're talking about. You know, if we're talking about a two and a half point edge, I'm not going to bet it early in the week. If we're talking about something's five and a half points off, I'm not telling you I'm not going to bet anything early in the week because That's you know if something's way if something's way off. It, it, you know, I'm going to have to bet it. I'll just say hey, I hope everything goes right. At the same time, I think that while it isn't exactly what we're talking about here, it's something that you and I have talked about some in the past that you don't want a bunch of your lines to be way off. You know, I've, I've been asked this question before. Hey, you know, my lines are all about a touchdown off. That's not a good thing. You know, we shouldn't be too excited about that because the market is, is pretty efficient. You know, we, we have to remember that. So while you'd like to have some edges, if you're making your own power ratings and they're all way off from the marketplace, then you're probably doing something wrong. So if we see a couple games where we have some big edges, yeah, I'll bet some of them early in the week. But I think I'll be more cautious to do that in general. Well, once again, like I said, we're going to be doing the full audio broadcast of our ATS.io podcast here, but we will have these highlight clips. So hope you enjoyed this highlight clip and certainly I know, listen back to the full show and we will have a couple more highlight clips coming up here uh, in a little bit. But, but with that being said, Kyle, I want to touch on something here quickly uh, from your standpoint. You said you bet a lot more totals than sides. So what goes into that totals, and don't pull the curtain all the way back, obviously you need to keep some of your secrets here, but uh, you know what goes into that totals handicapping process for you? Are there certain metrics that you're looking at, certain stats? I mean, is, is it weather considerations? Uh, you know, what, what's sort of you know, the, the major prongs of your totals approach? Sure, it's, it's kind of a pace and efficiency process, and I, I think that some people get too married to pace when it comes to totals. You know, there are some really good over teams that don't go very fast, but they're very efficient on offense. They're not very good on defense. You want to look for explosive plays. So uh, that's a little bit of a hard one to to measure exactly what you'll get from somebody. But if a team is is constantly getting 20 or 30 yard gainers and the, the defense gives up a lot of big plays, that's worth something to the number. I try to look at offensive efficiency versus what that defense will be. I project the efficiency numbers for both the teams involved, um, I have a bit of formula I use there. I have to say that, you know, I feel more confident about my totals numbers than I do about my side numbers. And what you just said right there, I, I have to say, weather is, is just a massive edge. I still think that people don't realize how big of a difference it makes. Uh, I think you know this, but, um, you know, when we get the hurricanes that blow in or you get the really heavy rain and wind, those are my favorite weeks to bet totals. If you if you notice in the past, you know, I'll have 15 plays on those weekends when I might have six or seven on another weekend. And, you know, people who know me well enough know I'm probably taking quite a few unders. Um, I've done really well on those. I think that uh, most people don't realize how big of an issue weather is. Uh, but when it comes to just normal totals, I would say that, you know, there's a lot of efficiency metrics. You know, I, I think that stats have really gotten a lot better especially free. You know, we didn't always have access to all this information. Even when you and I started doing the, the podcast back in 2013, uh, a lot of the stuff that's available now wasn't available then. You know, the five-factor box scores, things like that. Um, those are really, really helpful so that you can see, you know, who has been converting and who hasn't been converting. And usually in general, and I know this is something that Adam does a lot with baseball, uh, there's going to be regression to the mean. So if somebody's constantly going into the red zone and not getting any points, they're turning it over in there, 
you know, you don't want to assume that that's going to keep happening all the time because usually they're going to, you know, luck into scoring quite a few times, you know, even if they are uh, bad decision makers. So uh, I think regression to the mean is also important to see. And that's why I look down through all these numbers as much as I can to look for one that's way off from the rest of them. I think you probably do the same thing when it comes to baseball. You know, you see somebody's FIP that's way off from their ERA or their, the Sierra that's way off from their ERA or something like that. You know, those are those are ones where the line's going to move on. I think in college football totals market, that isn't going to happen nearly as quickly. You know, everybody knows baseball, sabermetrics at this point are going to move the line quite a bit. I think when it comes to totals, you know, that's why we've kind of talked about stats stand out here in the past on the show, because I try to look for some of these that I think really stand out, uh, either that are too good to keep going or are too bad to keep going that way. I will say, occasionally you get a team that just kind of breaks the mold and they're just that good, like LSU's offense last year. Uh, fortunately, I was I was passing on those unders when uh, my numbers were telling me to take the under on LSU several times last year. They were so efficient. I mean, just breaking record after record of, you know, third down conversion rates, um, getting into the red zone and scoring a touchdown every time. And sometimes you have to to put human element element into it to where you say, look, Burrow's just that good. Or the, everybody there is just that good to where maybe your number points to to a play that, you know, you're really not that comfortable with. So I try to keep a um, kind of half and half approach. I don't only bet based on my numbers. You know, I know some people bet only based on numbers and that's it. Um, I kind of have a feel uh, for the market. Uh, I've gotten pretty good at knowing which which games are going to get bet up from a total side, which ones are going to get bet down. So, you know, market entry when it comes to totals is really important. Uh, the totals market is going to move faster than the side market is. One last topic to talk about here, and then we'll get into some games that are coming up this week, uh, including tonight's BYU and Navy game. Home field advantage. I mean, look, you know, obviously we all kind of have our thoughts on home field advantage. Generally speaking, what I do and my home field advantage numbers are available in my power ratings article over at ATS.io every week. Generally, it's three. You know, that's kind of my standard issue college football home field advantage. But there are a lot of teams that are three and a half or four. I think there were two teams last year that were four and a half. A handful of teams that were two and a half or two. They just don't play well at home. They don't draw well at home. I kind of did a results-based home field advantage calculation uh, maybe two or three years ago, and I've kind of followed this through to sort of see how it goes, where I look at straight-up and ATS win percentage at home for these teams, and then I put them into certain buckets, and I think it's like 60% is 3.5%, uh, 70% is 4 and I think like 75% was 4.5%, something like that. But obviously this year everything dramatically different. We have some teams playing in front of fans. We have a lot of teams that are not. So what I did with my college football home field advantage this year, I'm going with one point as a standard, just because I think travel is something that you want to factor into the equation. It is something that, you know, certainly in the age of coronavirus here, and I just was out in Vegas last week. I I traveled up to Traverse City the weekend before. Traveling is, is strange. I mean, it certainly is. These guys are certainly more insulated than I was. But traveling is pretty different. So I've got a base of one. I've, I'm giving a half point to place to teams that have some level of a crowd, some percentage, you know, above five percent, where they're actually going to have some fans there. The teams that have big stadiums where they're getting larger capacities are two, and then some of them, like a Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, uh, Central Florida, who's a very good home team. 
Those are teams I've given two and a half to. So it's very arbitrary. I will admit that, but you have to factor in some level of home field advantage. I think Kyle, what did you sort of do in terms of that dilemma? Yeah, this is a really hard question. I think this is the hardest question you asked today where, you know, what, what do you do with home field advantage based on what's going on now? What I've done so far is I've been looking at 60% to 67%, somewhere in that range of, you know, between a half and two thirds of what I've given before. Now I'm going to be adjusting this. I know that you and I have uh, been looking at uh, what kind of crowd size they're having. And I know a lot of these, these um, teams are going to have a pretty small crowd, even that are having uh, fans, you know, so we're talking, you know, five, 6,000 people how much of a difference is that going to make? I mean, I think that makes a pretty big difference from usual. I mean, you're talking about places that a lot of these places are pretty packed normally. And obviously the the fans that are there are going to be pretty loud and it's going to still help them. But, you know, you can't put, you know, three and a half, four point home field advantages like you have in the past. I think that I'm going to be adjusting this, you know, somewhat as we go. Uh, Like you said, I think it's good to adjust based on what kind of crowd is there. What I've been doing now when I look at these lines, like I said, is, I'm taking 60% or 65, 67% of what I had at the end of last year. I don't think that's perfect by any means. Um, I want to wait and see what happens on some of these. And like I just said, you know, I I try to be totally open and honest about this process. I really don't know the answer to this question. You know, this home field advantage question is a tough one. I kind of want to wait and see what it looks like. Now, having said that, what are there? You know, not that many games this weekend. We can't take a huge... You know, uh, if if the road teams go 75% ATS this week, it doesn't mean that, you know, there's no home field advantage. So let's just get rid of it. You know, we, we got to look at sample sizes, as you know. So um, I, I think half might be a little too small for home field advantage, but I think two-thirds might be a little bit too much. So, you know, I'm going to go through my numbers a little bit more, but right now I think somewhere in the 60% range of what I was at the end of last year is, is going to be where I'm at. Do you have... Do you have any teams that are as high as three now or not? No, I don't have any teams at three. I've, I've got, I think, five teams at two and a half, and that's the highest I've gone. And those are predominantly teams that are, you know, four, four and a half for me in a traditional season. I, I just think that, you know, I mean, you're going to have as many fans as you can fit in the place. You know, you kind of have sort of that aura of already playing in that stadium. And you have some teams that just play better at home, you know, whether it's a matter of their facilities or, or whatever else. Um, you know, there are – what would have been really interesting would have been if we would have gotten a Mountain West season and you would have had some of the altitude teams and stuff like that. Right now, the only real altitude team that I could think of uh, is UTEP. And, and, of course, they're the worst team in FBS by a pretty large margin. So you don't want to give them too much home field advantage. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be a wait-and-see kind of process. And I guess it speaks to trying to have, you know, a pretty efficient set of power ratings so that you can figure out – you know, when your numbers are close to the market, what are the odds makers giving for home field advantage? Or maybe, you know, is the market giving more home field advantage than you are? I don't really know what the answer to that is. Like, like so many other things here in 2020, we just don't know. So uh, we'll kind of see as we go forward here and kind of get an idea of what the market sort of looks like. But let's go ahead and talk about this BYU and Navy game here. And this will be one of our spotlight videos here, BYU and Navy and Quick turnaround for this one, obviously, here being the Monday night college football game. Some interesting line movement here in this game so far. Navy opened a three-point favorite. And, of course, these opening lines have been out for quite some time once we knew who was going to be playing who for this week. 
But now BYU, pretty much a market-wide one, one-and-a-half-point favorite out there. Is that a surprising move to you, Kyle? No, I think that's the right move. I think, you know, I'd like to have BYU plus three. That sounds good to me. But the current the current number, uh, you know, that's about where it should be, I think. You know, you look at the, the market percentages here, 55% of the bets on Navy, 63% of the money on BYU. So we certainly have some sharp money here on BYU. Uh, looking at this game, you know, I think that BYU's front seven on defense is the strength of their team. The secondary is the question mark, losing two star safeties from last year. But, you know, is Navy's not the team that's going to test that that pass defense. We know that. So, you know, if BYU's strong in the front seven, uh, we, we understand that running the triple option or defending the triple option is not equal to, you know, stopping the run against a normal team. So I'm not saying that BYU is just going to shut them down offensively. However, I think it certainly helps BYU that they're not going to be tested on the deep ball here because, I mean, Navy doesn't really throw it much at all. I think it really hurts Navy a lot uh, without Perry at quarterback. You know, Jasper, the offensive coordinator, really molded the offense around him last year, and it really worked very well. Um, you know, who's who's going to be the quarterback this year? Who's going to play well there at Navy? I think they're going to keep it open because they don't really have somebody that's stepping in that they're really that confident about. So they have really good running backs, as they always do, very deep there. We know Navy's going to run the ball almost every time. I'm going to be surprised if BYU does a really bad job of stopping the option. Um, they have seen it before. And you know, BYU is a, a pretty strong front seven. If you look at BYU's numbers at the end of last year, they really improved a lot in the last six games on defense. And and where that started was the, the defensive front. So I think BYU's defensive front is strong. On the other end, I say, I think BYU's offense is a bit hard to figure out. So, you know, Wilson starts at quarterback, but I mean, is he their best quarterback? I, I don't know. I mean, you know, they have some really good backups there who played very well when Wilson was out. Uh, I think he'll probably be on a short leash. You know, if he doesn't play very well, we're going to see the backups here because they were very good. I think BYU's offensive line is very strong. But if you look at their wide receivers, they're definitely subpar. Running backs aren't great either. So, um, you know, theoretically, I would assume that BYU's offense gets a little bit better because their offensive line is so good and they have very good quarterback play. At the same time, I don't think they have a lot of great weapons on the outside. Navy's defense has definitely improved from a couple of years ago where it was a major weakness. Um, you know, Navy is stronger in the secondary than they are on the defensive line. You would think BYU would be able to run the football some here because, you know, Navy is not really big up front. BYU a strong offensive line. I think some teams were hurt more than others by no spring practices. I think Navy was one of those teams that was probably hurt by that. You know, that's that's a new quarterback that really needed some reps. Uh, to me, I look at this game and I think, okay. BYU is my lean. I don't love it at the current number. Um, it's right about where I think it should be. I also lean to the under. And again, there's been some money coming coming on the under to where the line was higher than it is right now. It's hard to take, you know, under 48, 48 and a half. Um, but, you know, my leans in this game would be BYU and the under. And like I said, I think, you know, we know more about what BYU is. We don't know what Navy is right now. And to me, you know, I kind of fall back to the, okay, this is the team that I know what I'm going to get out of more than the other team. Well, and I think, too, what's going to be really interesting to see about this game is is what happens with this line as some more public money starts leaking in. Because, look, it's a standalone Monday night college football game. There's going to be a pretty good handle on this game. And 
Army looked so good last week against Middle Tennessee State that people may kind of sit there and go, well, this is another option team, and it's a service academy, and they're very regimented, and you know they're going to be efficient. They're going to do everything well. That may not exactly be the case here. I mean, first of all, BYU is a much better team than Middle Tennessee State. That is a big part of the fact that, you know, look, people are going to say, well, Army did this. Yeah, but Navy's playing BYU. They're not playing Middle Tennessee State. A Middle Tennessee State team that never sees the option, never really sees great rush, great efficient rushing attacks that can grind them down. BYU is a very physical team. They always have been. They're also a pretty regimented team. You know, they always they have a lot of older players, guys that have gone and done the mission trips, stuff like that. BYU is almost always a very experienced roster. So if they need to buy in against the triple option, they will do that. Whereas for Middle Tennessee State, Rick Stockstill's just trying to get his team together, trying to figure out his offense, his defense against the more traditional scheme. Maybe they didn't put a ton of prep time in to the triple option, and you know, quite frankly, it didn't look like they did. For Navy, like you said, how do you replace Malcolm Perry? I mean, how do you replace a guy that meant so much for this program? We had that question about Keenan Reynolds a few years ago. They wound up doing that. Do they just churn out another guy that masterfully runs this option? It's a possibility, but it's something that I probably would have to pay to see here. Again, as you mentioned, this is a sharper move in nature on BYU, who is making that trip. And look, this BYU team... Like you said, questions on offense. Who winds up being the guy at quarterback? Does he wind up being the right guy? But the fact that they have options, the fact that if things aren't going well over the course of this game, they can pivot. They can make a move to somebody like Romney or somebody else. They have the opportunity to do that here. So for BYU, I think their physicality helps. I like the fact that they've you know seen the option before is something that definitely helps them. And I think for Navy here too, you know, defensively, their defenses are always undermanned and undersized. In the AAC, you can get by with that because a lot of teams play the spread. They'll spread you out. They'll throw it all over the field, stuff like that. BYU is a very physical team, generally more of a run-heavy team. Like Jeff Grimes is clearly a much better offensive coordinator for this group than Ty Detmer was. I agree with the line move. My line on this game is BYU minus two. So it is right there in the range that I have. And like you said, with the pregame line moves, the totals come down over at almost a touchdown. Uh, the sides flip the favorite. Navy was minus three. Now BYU minus one. I think you find a live betting opportunity in this game. You see how BYU looks against that option early on because Navy is a team that has a hard time adjusting if the other team is shutting them down because they are so one-dimensional on offense. So I think tonight, a prime example of why live betting is the future in this business, because I just don't think there's a lot of pre-flop value on this game. Yeah, I agree with that. I think um, maybe you want to take BYU if they get down a little bit early, unless they really look like they can't stop that run, because we know what's coming from Navy. You know, if they run the triple option constantly, BYU just gives up eight or 10 yards every play. I wouldn't be excited to bet BYU. On the other hand, uh, maybe Navy gets a defensive touchdown or, or runs it runs it back quite a ways and has a really short field and scores right away I'd be more inclined to bet BYU on, on the live line all right so we move away from that game here and uh real quickly here for college football let's talk about UAB in Miami just because this game's coming up here on Thursday night uh, we will have another show on Thursday that will be with professional handicapper and better Brad Powers so you can keep an eye out for that here on ATS.io radio 
But UAB in Miami is a really fascinating game here, Kyle. First of all, we've seen a line move. It came down from Miami minus 16 to minus 13 and a half. We've seen the total go up from 48 to 52. UAB, one of the most experienced teams in the country, but Miami maybe finally has that one difference maker, that player they've needed for the last several years, and that's a quarterback, and it's De'Ara King. I think this is a really fascinating game. I like this game a lot. Uh, UAB, one of my favorite teams to root for. I think Bill Clark's a tremendous coach, also a class act. 18 starters back from a team that went 9-5. and five. Look, they weren't supposed to be as good as they've been in some of the years lately. This should have been one of their better years. So I think UAB is going to have a very good year in Conference USA. But what does that mean for this game? One thing that concerns me a bit, and I know that this is a small sample size, so I'll see your thoughts on this as well, but uh, UAB hasn't done very great when they step up in class. Look at their last three games against big-name teams. They're 0-3 against the spread in those games. Florida in 2017, they lost 36-7. to Texas A&M in 2018, they lost 41-20. to And last year, they lost to Tennessee 30-7. to So, um, you know, they have not really been very good in those uh, step-up games. And if you look at their ATS record, since Bill Clark has been head coach, UAB is 23-9-2 against the spread in Conference USA. Non-conference, they're 10-9 ATS. So uh, I'm a bit worried about taking the points with UAB, especially if you can't at least get 14 points here. I think that Miami certainly has such uh, good talent. They haven't really been able to put it together, and we've seen Miami lay down in some of these bowl games in the past. But you know, here we are starting a new season. They have De'Eric King. They still have a big question mark on the offensive line. They allowed 51 sacks last year. That's really ridiculous for a team like Miami. Uh, they returned six linemen. Is that a good thing? I mean, I, I don't think that's too terribly encouraging, to be honest. But, you know, they need King to stay healthy. You know, he's got to get rid of the ball really quickly. He can't be, you know, running in circles back there taking big hits. Uh, UAB secondary is really good. I think UAB secondary is going to shut down a lot of teams in Conference USA. Uh, Miami was 98th in tempo last year, and I'm glad you brought up the the total moving up. Miami's going to play a lot quicker this year with Lashley as their uh, offensive coordinator. So I think that's why we've seen the total jump here just by a – there should be more possessions in this game than what Miami would have had in the past. This number was set too low. Uh, Russo opting out hurt the Miami pass rush quite a bit. Miami also got a lot of turnover luck last year. That's been something we've talked about some in the past – you know, Miami was pretty fortunate when it came to turnovers last year. I still lean to the over at this number. I think that Miami will be able to score on UAB um, at least a decent amount. And I think UAB's offense has enough uh, playmakers and a really good running game that I think UAB can move the ball fairly well here, too. So I wish I'd gotten the lower number. Kind of like the over here. Uh, 14 or higher, I think I'd lean UAB. But like I said, you know, at this number... I'm scared to take UAB because they haven't really been that good when they step up in class. And, you know, when it comes to talent, it is still a big step up in class. It is a big step up in class. That's an excellent point that you make there. And, I mean, look, my number on this game is 11.5. So I am pretty high on UAB, maybe a little too low on Miami. And, and this is always a difficult thing with teams like Miami. And I know you and I have talked about this before, and we've run into this problem. You think about a team like Texas or a team like Florida State, something like that. They get elite talent, and they don't maximize it. You know, Florida State has not maximized their talent for several years in a row now. Texas, the same thing. Miami, the same thing. I mean, they get 
you know, they, they get kids. I mean, they get guys that are legitimate, you know, potential stars, and they just haven't done anything with it. And, you know, they had Mark Richt. Now they've got Manny Diaz. You know, Manny Diaz goes six and seven last year. And Jaron Williams actually played pretty well at quarterback. I mean, the offense wasn't as bad as it could have been. The defense, though, they regressed a little bit, 4.7 yards per play, up from 4.3. That's Diaz's hallmark. So if you've got that same defensive level or maybe a little bit better, and now you've got De'Ara King running this offense, who is a dual-threat guy that can maybe limit those sacks that they allowed last year, Miami is a team that all of a the sudden, their projection looks a good bit higher. Now, like I said, my number's 11.5. I'm a little bit below the market here on this one, so I'm not going to play Miami but Miami is a team I have highlighted as somebody I may need to adjust very quickly here because if they go out and look really good with this brand new offense, new coordinator, new quarterback, and they play this experienced UAB team and kind of knock them around a little bit, I'm probably going to have to bump Miami a couple points heading into next week. Yeah, I agree that Miami is one of those teams that you want to move pretty quickly because things are so different than what they were in the past. You know, maybe they come out here and they totally flop to start the season. That's at least a possibility. I don't think that will happen against UAB because their talent is so much higher than is UAB. Um, UAB has a coaching advantage, in my opinion. I don't think too many people would disagree with that based on what we've seen in the past. Um, I do think it's important to point out the totals move here. And I think that Miami games for the first several weeks will get bet up immediately. So if you like overs in Miami games, these are ones that you're going to want to bet early in the week. So when we talk about market entry, If they hang a 52 next week on Miami, and I don't have the schedule in front of me to see who they play next time, but they hang a a certain number on Miami next time, it's going to get bet up right away. So, um, you know, if you like Miami overs, I think you want to be earlier in the week because there are going to be people, um, you know, a lot of times I'm one of them, to be honest, where you see a coordinator change where it's going to change the tempo quite a bit. You want to play the over pretty quickly. Maybe it goes the other way in some cases where you want to play the under. But in this case, I think Miami totals will get bet up. Yeah, Miami plays uh, Louisville next week on the road at Louisville. That's a very, very good early season game there. Uh, Louisville with an interesting game here this week against Western Kentucky. But one more college game to touch on that I want to finish up with the NFL. You were talking about this college game. It's one of interest to you. Louisiana and Iowa State. What are you kind of looking at here with this one? I like this game quite a bit because I like both of these teams. I think Louisiana could be a pretty good moneymaker this year in the Sun Belt. Look, you have to really like the job that Billy Napier has done here. I I, I really think he's going to get a bigger job here soon. Uh, Levi Lewis with a 25-4 to touchdown to interception ratio last year, really good. And their, their tandem of tailbacks in Mitchell and Regis, uh, I mean, they're at least top five in the country. You could argue better than that. So, Louisiana is going to be able to run the ball on just about everybody they play. Having said that, Iowa State has a really good run defense. And this is not a typical Big 12 defense to where, you know, it's just a sieve out there. So Iowa State, Matt Campbell has a very good defense. I think Iowa State has the best defense they've had since Campbell's been there this year. Um, Iowa State, I prefer to bet as a dog, to be honest with you. You know, Matt Campbell has been tremendous as an underdog in the past. I'll look to bet them when they are an underdog this year. I don't like laying points with them very much. And also I wanted to highlight that Iowa State's had some really slow starts to the season the last few years. You look at their first couple games of the year, they have really not been very good. I lean toward Louisiana and the points here in this one. I think Louisiana could give them a pretty hard time. I do have to be honest and say, I don't love taking a Sun Belt team against a Big 12 team. 
you know, because we know the Sun Belt is still quite a bit lower, but uh, Louisiana is a good, solid team. They, they have a lot of veterans on this team, very good offensive line. Um, you know, Louisiana can be beaten on the ground easier than they can through the air on average, but Brock Purdy, a very good quarterback. You know, Iowa State, I don't think they have great weapons around him, but Brock Purdy is a very good quarterback, and I, I think that Iowa State will be able to move the ball here. I just don't think it'll be really easy scoring from them. And I think Louisiana will run the ball as much as they can, try to use some clock. I lean to the under in this one, and I do like Louisiana plus the points. Yeah, I got this one sitting right on 11. And, you know, I mean, look, I think it's a fascinating game. And, and also, too, I mean, you know, Matt Campbell, outstanding coach. And and when you start thinking about, you know, what's happened with this uh, with this Iowa State program and all the different things that they've done, the improvements that they've made, the ways that they've just – you know, found a way to be competitive year in and year out, even though they don't get the best of the recruits that are out there. You know, you wonder what they do here against the Sunbelt team that is something different from what they usually see. You know, you don't see that heavy rushing attack in the Big 12. You don't see teams that are going to, and not to say this is like a power running game or anything like that for Louisiana, but you don't see dominant running games in the Big 12 all that often. You see a lot of pass attacks that wind up putting up big numbers. So I want to know how Iowa State handles that. I want to know if Brock Purdy can you know, move the football against a Sunbelt defense. A lot of interesting things, to say the least, about that game. As we transition over to the NFL side here for a few minutes, I want to remind you that over at ATS.io, we've got sportsbook reviews for all of the different operators that are in the various states that have legalized sports betting out there. DraftKings, Bet Rivers, Bet MGM, William Hill, Bet America, Sugar House. The list goes on and on. FanDuel. The list goes on and on over at ATS.io. If you check out our sportsbook reviews and you sign up through us, you will get some of the industry leading bonuses being offered by those different operators. So make sure you head on over to ATS.io as the thunder rolls here uh, in the background for me. Transitioning over to the NFL here, Kyle. We talk about college football. We talk about the COVID uncertainty, contact tracing, everything with the players, if they're doing what they're supposed to do. Well, in the NFL, we've got professionals. We've got guys that are making money, first and foremost, to do what they do. But also, you have to think that there's probably a higher degree of responsibility for them. So with that in mind, do you feel like you're maybe a little bit more confident and maybe feel a little bit more safer about the NFL early on? Sure, I think the NFL feels more similar to what it does in a usual year than does college football, right? I mean, I think we all assumed all along that the NFL was going to do the best they could to play this season. College football, we didn't even know who was going to play and who's not. I don't even know if we we still really know everything that's going to play or who's not going to. But the NFL, you know, we've seen a decent amount of players opt out, but you don't have the same you know, campus parties and things like that that you have in college football. Like you said, these guys are getting paid to play football. This is their job. So I think that things are going to be a little bit different here. I know that the NFL is going to be doing a lot of testing. I think the NFL has a better chance of of just getting along, you know, pretty well at least. And I'm not going to say things are going to be normal because it's still not normal. It's 2020. But I think the NFL is one where – I'm going to change less what I'm doing handicapping-wise than I am in college football. I think that this, you know, there might be a little bit more uncertainty about how early in the in the week you should bet a game. However, I mean, we, this is probably a different discussion, but 
the NFL lines are not going to move as much as the college football lines. And we know that, you know, the NFL is a really efficient marketplace. You know, if you're looking to try to get uh, closing line value in the NFL, like you can get in college football, it's not going to happen, you know? So uh, I think the NFL marketplace is a really sharp one to start with. We know that, you know, it's hard to, I mean, if you hit 55% in the NFL, you're doing a really good job. You know, this is a, this is a tough market. So I think the NFL to me is more similar to what we've seen in the past. I won't change very much as far as my market entry. I don't bet NFL lines as early in the week as I do college football anyways. So to me, it's going to be a lot more similar. And as you and I kind of said off the air, the NFL feels a little bit safer market to kind of wade into than does the college football market. So with that being said, saying that you're not going to change a whole lot, what does the NFL handicapping process look like for you? Yeah, in the NFL, um, to me, what I try to do is I try to be a little bit more contrarian in the NFL. I do look at public bet percentages more often than I do in college. You know, I want to be on the side that might be getting that extra point or two points than what they should be. And I also look to like to look for spots more in the NFL than I do in college football. I think that, you know, you get a team that's had a really poor performance that's been on Sunday night football or Monday night football in the NFL the next week, they're going to be getting more points than what they should have been, probably. So I like to look for spots more often there than I do in college football. You know, um, travel is not the same as college football. You know, I think uh, in college football, when you see the teams at altitude, like you said, we're not really going to see them as much. But when you have those, those can be really good spots in college football. The NFL spots to me are more like, you know, they've, they've laid an egg two games in a row. They're pros. They're going to care about this game. Or, you know, they're playing a divisional rival. And we've consistently seen, you know, say the AFC North games go under the total year after year. I know it's not what it used to be on that, but it's still done very well. Or if you, you take a team that has not been very good, but maybe they're a rival of another team, they're catching a bunch of points in this game. You know, to me, I'm not going to have a big difference in the line, uh, what, what I make the line and what the line actually is in the NFL. So I'm looking for spots to bet. And as far as totals, I do look for coordinator changes, um, signs that they're going to throw the football more, run the football more. Some of these teams that I think are going to run the football a lot, I'll look to try to bet some unders because it slows the game down, um, you know, keeps the clock moving, I guess you'd say. So in the NFL, um, I don't bet as many games. I never do. You know, I might bet two or three a week. I know some people bet a bunch of NFL games per week. I think betting, you know, just across the board in the NFL, you know, you, you want to be a hero and bet 11 games a week. I mean, you better really be good at the NFL because I think that's pretty dangerous. So I think it's pretty good to stay low volume in the NFL. I will continue to do that. Um, I think that, you know, the NFL is a a sport where um, I don't know what line would be more efficient than an NFL line in the sports betting place. So um, to me, the NFL is is a sharp line already. You're not betting on some soft line that you're going to be able to kill the closing line. So to me, uh, it's similar to what it's been in the past. Keep it small as far as, uh, you know, number of plays. I also don't bet as much money in the NFL as I do in college football because I feel like my edge isn't as good there. However, that is a bit complicated this year, as we just talked about. So they'll probably look a little bit more similar than they usually do um, in the NFL and college football. But NFL is a sport that I've done pretty well in, uh, about 54.7% here since 2010 doesn't sound wonderful, but, you know, like I said, the NFL is a tough market to beat. Uh, pretty solid results year over year. So I'm going to be doing everything about the same way I've done it in the past. I'll wait till the end of the week, see what kind of uh, line moves there are, 
Um, and in the NFL, the public can move the line enough. So many people are betting these games that I think you can get the line shaded a couple points from what it should have been based on the public. And that's not something that always happens in every sport. Yeah, I think you raise a lot of excellent points there. And again, I mean, I don't do power ratings for the NFL. There, there's really no point. You know, I mean, they're going to be very close to what the market winds up having uh, for college football. Power ratings a much bigger part of the equation for me. And like you said, for the NFL, kind of looking at spots, sort of looking at, you know, the market, sort of looking at market indicators, you know, buying and selling of some of these teams. And you know, that's something I look at a lot, too, is is perception, you know, and, and either playing on perception or playing against perception, because I think sometimes you can play on perception. Maybe some people don't realize you know, that a team has kind of found a rhythm, has found its groove, and you know, maybe that team has just made some sort of change that winds up being a major positive for them. A lot more in the NFL for me about the number, you know, a lot more about getting above or below a key number, stuff like that. In a higher variance college football environment, not quite as important. In a tighter, more efficient market like the NFL, I worry a lot more about my line value uh, in a sport like that, you know, trying to get that seven and a half uh, as opposed to a seven, that six and a half as opposed to a seven, something like that, playing a lot more in the teaser market, things of that sort. Uh, for the NFL, but uh, we got a game here on Thursday night, one of our highlight videos here on ATS.io radio, Houston and Kansas City, and uh, before we get started, I don't know, maybe it's just my old age or something like that, but uh, got a little emotional seeing Deshaun Watson get emotional when they popped up his family uh, on that Zoom call for that contract extension, uh, a dude that, you know, look, I mean, you know, as a uh, as a Gamecocks fan by marriage, as an Ohio State fan by birth, didn't love Deshaun Watson in college, but, uh, I mean, great for him. He's an awesome player, and, and we've got two of the best quarterbacks in the NFL uh, going at it here in this one with Kansas City, a nine-point favorite, and a total of 54.5 for Thursday night. Yeah, first of all, I think it's hard not to be a Deshaun Watson fan. He makes it pretty easy to be a fan of his. I like Patrick Mahomes, too. So, I mean, I, these are two quarterbacks that are uh, both very good and likable guys. You know, we remember the playoff game between these two teams, and that's going to be the, the narrative that you're going to hear a lot. I don't know that I want to say too much about that because, you know, the people who want to bet the Texans here are going to say, look, you know, this is revenge. This is their spot. I don't know that that's really a great reason to just bet this game blindly. So I, I don't think we should talk about that one too much. But we know it happened, obviously. You know, Houston, um, the team in the past, we know Houston's big problem has been their offensive line. Uh, last year – Quietly, they were a little bit better on the offensive line, especially in pass protection. They still need to be a lot better when it comes to running the football. But, you know, Watson wasn't getting hit quite as much as he was in the past. Obviously, it's still relative. You know, this is not a really good offensive line. But, you know, they were so bad before that, you know, getting to mediocre or just a little below mediocre is actually pretty good compared to where they were. So, um, you know, the secondary of Houston is their big weakness. Not a great weakness to have when you're about to play Patrick Mahomes and the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. You know, if you look at Kansas City, they're going to pick apart bad secondaries all year. They've got Hill, Watkins, Edwards Hilaire. Uh, I think he's going to be a good weapon out of the backfield for them this year as well. I really think he's a good fit. I like that pick quite a bit. Uh, Kansas City is going to score a lot of points on a lot of teams this year, and I think one of them is, uh, is Houston right here. I'll be pretty surprised if they don't score a lot of points. The Chiefs' defense – is not the weakness they were a few years ago. A few years ago, they just had to outscore teams, uh, put up a really big number. But I think the Breland suspension hurts a, a good amount here against Houston. 
You know, um, this Kansas City secondary is not terribly deep. Houston should be able to throw the football pretty well here. As I look at this one, I know that this is a high number. I mean, we're, we're not going to get a low number when it comes to totals between these two teams. But I still lean to the over here. I think there's going to be a decent amount of points. Um, it'd really take a lot to have to play the under in this game. I, I can't imagine too many people would be excited to bet the under here. I think there's lots of big play capability from both teams. And I really like to see big play capability when I'm betting a high total over. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the uh, to, to play devil's advocate here, I mean, who is Deshaun Watson's top target now? You know what I mean? What, what do the Texans wind up doing offensively at the skill positions? That'll be something that Watson will have to figure out. But I, I think more than just this matchup specifically, and, and we'll go ahead and do this on the highlight video because why not, the start of the NFL season here, the players hate the preseason games anyway. They can't stand them. They've been trying to get down to two preseason games for as long as I can remember. This year they had none. And in fact, you know, it's not like the quarterbacks have been getting hit in training camp or anything like that. We saw some bad tackling in week one of college football. I'm sure we'll see blown tackles here this week. You sort of wonder about that. With two teams geared towards offense, and Kansas City's defense is good, and of course they were great in the at the tail end of the regular season last year, but with two teams geared towards offense and teams that haven't really been hitting each other during training camp, they didn't play any preseason games, you wonder if early on in the process here, we haven't seen a ton of totals movement to this point, but I think we will as the week goes along. Does that favor a higher scoring environment? Because a lot of people are going to say, well, look, you know, they haven't had the time to get their timing down on routes and things like that in game conditions. Well, that's true. Also, these teams haven't been able to really go full bore defensively and start hitting the guys on the other side because you don't want to hurt any of your teammates. So I wonder about that. And in a vacuum, this game may not be the best example because these are two, as you mentioned, very high scoring teams. But I do wonder about that dynamic here early in the NFL season. Who does no preseason favor more? Is it the offense or is it the defense? I would guess it's the offense, but I, you know, I'm not strong enough on that to where I just want to go bet the over on all these games. I think it's something where we kind of will wait and see what happens. But, you know, like you said, I mean, the defense hasn't been able to be, uh, you know, going full bore like they usually would. Because even in those preseason games, we have the week three in the preseason where it is more like a normal game. We have none of those so far this year. So I think that probably hurts tackling. I think we see some more missed tackles at the beginning of the season where things will get cleaned up a little bit more later in the season. Now, like you said, you know, there are some spots where it might be a better example than this one. Probably some teams that you would expect to be really good tackling teams that a game has a really low total. I'd be afraid to bet an under in a game like that to where I might be more likely to bet an over. This is a high number. Like I said, you know, I don't love betting over um, above 52 in the NFL, but you know, this game was always going to be above 52 because, because of the pace that they'll play at and because of how efficient the offenses are and the defenses aren't really that great either. So in general though, I would say, I think it would help the offense, but you know, it's something that, you know, we have to kind of guess, you know, we don't, we don't know the right answer to that, but I, I would guess that the offense has helped, but you know, this is new to us. We haven't seen a no preseason year. Having said that, you think the offensive guys would have still gotten quite a bit of reps. I mean, they've been, they've been running these plays quite a bit where the defensive guys had to lay off a little bit. So I would say, I think it favors the offense. And lastly here, another great unknown is officiating. 
you know, we know there are always those officiating mandates early on in the season, points of emphasis, stuff like that. The officials didn't get to run around in the preseason either. So you wonder about that too. And I mean, I don't know if it has a tangible impact on this game, but it certainly could, you know, so we'll have to see if these guys wind up being very flag happy. You know, if they're calling a lot of holding in the trenches, if they're calling a lot of OPI or DPI, you know, we don't really know yet. Um, Again, I mean, we don't really know that going into every season, but it is heightened a little bit here uh, with the fact that we haven't had the preseason. I know you do a lot with umpires when it comes to baseball. Do you, do you look a lot at officiating crews for the NFL? Not as much as I do at baseball and the umpire. Obviously, the home plate umpire has a lot to do with the baseball game. I do look at them, and I know that there are some crews that that are really flag happy. I know that Jerome Boger, I think everybody pretty much knows this, but Jerome Boger's crew calls defensive pass interference I mean, he could breathe on a guy and it's defensive pass interference. So especially this year with COVID, right? Yeah. All right. Right. I didn't, I didn't really mean to make a joke there, but I guess I kind of did. Yeah. It's a Boger's crew is, is well known for overs. Um, I think there's 60% or better to the overs. So if you see Boger's crew, you probably don't want to bet the under unless you really like it. Uh, I know Corriente's uh, crew, uh, Tony Corriente uh, has been a good under crew, but, you know, this is not anything like what baseball would be to where, you know, it would totally keep me off a bet usually. So I would say it's something to keep an eye on. The weather is probably more important. And then and then the referee crew. But, you know, I think what you said there as far as seeing what kind of things they're going to call more this year, it does feel like every year there's one thing that's like, wow, you know, where was that last year? So we'll see here in week one and two if there's anything that they're really keying in on this year. Once again, we're doing these highlight videos from the ATS.io radio podcast. If you want to hear the full shows, well, it's very easy to find those. We're on Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, all those different places out there in the podcast space. And, of course, you can find the show over at ATS.io as well. Lastly, Kyle, one more game that we want to touch on here in the NFL, and that is the game between the Packers and the Vikings. Kirk Cousins not afraid of covid Aaron Rodgers and the Packers going on the road here as an underdog. Minnesota, two and a half or three, depending on where you look. Total hovering in that 46 range. Uh, This was a game that you suggested to me. I left it open to you. So I feel like there's probably some reason that you want to talk about this game. Well, here's two teams where I feel like there's a lot of question marks. We've got Green Bay with a, a strong offensive line, a nice duo of tailbacks, I would expect them to be more run heavy this year. Uh, really had a fraudulent great record last year. I mean, what what kind of team that had the record like Green Bay has last year? Have you ever seen a team that's that's worse than what they were with that good of a record? I mean, I can't remember one. So this is a, a Green Bay team that really, you know, eventually that was shown to be fraudulent. And we knew all along that they weren't nearly as good as their record who are going to be their second and third options at wide receiver? Funches opting out for the season, I think, hurts them quite a bit because they really had a lack of depth and talent on the outside. I think Green Bay has to run the football a lot more this year. I would expect to see that. Um, I see them as a good team to bet unders with this year. So we just talked about how the over might be helped a bit throughout the, the early going. I would lean to the under in this game. I do think that Minnesota, though, looks a lot different than they did a few years ago. Remember that Minnesota defense a few years ago that, you know, Zimmer's defense, they were so scary. They're really good defensively. 
they're really not very good defensively now. Kendricks is an elite linebacker, but the rest of the defense is way down from a few years ago. The secondary was down a lot last year, and the secondary looks really bad to me this year. I think Minnesota's secondary is going to be beat pretty badly by a lot of teams. So I think Minnesota's a team I'd like to bet against more often than I would bet on this year. However, I don't really know if Green Bay is the team that ex- can exploit that uh Weakness. So we'll, we'll see. I think some teams really will. Uh, Minnesota's obviously going to run the football a lot again this year. Why wouldn't they? You know, Cook and Madison, a really good uh, backfield there. The offensive line, very good with their zone block- blocking schemes. Uh, can Thielen stay healthy? I think he really needs to because, you know, no d- digs to go to now. Jefferson trying to fill the shoes. I lean to the under in this game. Um, I want to bet against Minnesota usually, but I don't really like Green Bay. So, uh, I think the main reason I want to talk about this game is these are two teams I like to bet against. So maybe not this week because they're playing each other, but I'm kind of low on Minnesota and Green Bay in general. Yeah, the one thing I will say about Green Bay, and, and maybe the way to attack this game, is maybe Green Bay in the first quarter. Because Green Bay was an outstanding first quarter team last year. They had 15 first quarter touchdowns. That was the most of any quarter. I believe they had 12 in the third quarter. But they were a team that game-planned really, really well, but didn't adjust well throughout the course of the game. They got out to some big leads. They kind of let teams play play themselves back into it a little bit. But last year, 7.5 yards per play in the first quarter for the Green Bay Packers, 5.53 in the second quarter. So they had those good scripted plays. Then as the script kind of broke down a little bit, that's when they started having some issues. So... Green Bay first quarter, they may look like the team better prepared here, which is kind of an interesting point to make because a lot of people do like Mike Zimmer a lot and think that he's a very, very good head coach. But I think Green Bay maybe gets out early in this one. So if you like Minnesota, maybe wait for a live betting opportunity. But I do think Green Bay, with what they did in first quarters last year with those scripted plays, with very efficient pass calls from Aaron Rodgers, who completed 71% of his passes in the first quarter, that may be the way to look. And again, we talk about how tight the NFL market is. Maybe the derivative market of playing quarters and halves or doing some live betting, the approach you want to take here in 2020. I think that's a great point. And actually, it makes me think uh, the live under could be a good play in this game because yeah. you might see a decent amount of scoring early on from Green Bay. Um, you know, I think if you get a number that gets up in the 50s, maybe you want to play the live under or maybe you play a second half under or something like that because you're Totally right. That's a great point. The Green Bay's offense was really good in the first quarter last year. And then really the rest of the game, they weren't very good. So we'll see if that changes this year. But until they prove themselves otherwise, that's what I would assume will happen again this year. Well, definitely some changes for us here this year. The podcast moving over to ATS.io, but still uh, one of my longtime friends here, one of my best friends in the business, Kyle Hunter, professional handicapper from HunterSportsPicks.com. What do you got going on over there right now, man? First of all, I always love doing the show here with you, Adam. Like, uh, uh, same sentiments here. Uh, you're a great guy. You do great work for the website. Uh, love having you as, as a friend as well. It's great to talk to you again. You know, these six months, uh, it's been a long time since we talked. Like I said, really, we talked the last time there was, you know, uh, basketball going on. And, and usually that break's not as long as what it was this time. But it's good to be back talking football and uh, you can head over to huntersportspicks.com. I've got some early bird prices up for the football season. Those are going here for the next five days. So if you want um, those cheaper prices, you can get on those this week. Also sign up for the free picks newsletter there at huntersportspicks.com. 
I send one of those out every weekend, usually two in a weekend. We'll see how many I get to this week. Definitely a busy week with uh, trying to cram everything in here as the season's getting started. But you'll be getting some free picks from there as well. And also give me a follow there on Twitter at Kyle Hunter Picks. Yes, make sure you follow Kyle on Twitter for sure at Kyle Hunter Picks. From huntersportspicks.com, Mr. Kyle Hunter. Appreciate your time as always, man. Thank you so much for joining me. We'll talk to you again next Monday. All right, man. Thanks. Take care. All right, so I wanted to save this for the end of the show here just to give you an idea of what our schedule is going to look like. Mondays with Kyle Hunter, Tuesday, the Betters Box, Thursdays with Brad Powers, and then Friday, the Betters Box. Once baseball goes away, we'll add some more stuff in on Tuesdays and Fridays. We are in the Circa Million. I'll do a video with my picks every Friday, and we're going to do some video stuff not related to the podcast as well. Probably do some video stuff with Brian Blessing, who's already done some things for our ATS.io YouTube page, uh, maybe some other people around the industry. So for now, Mondays with Kyle Hunter, Tuesdays, the Better's Box, Thursdays, Brad Powers talking football, Friday, the Better's Box, and assorted video content, and all of my written content for the most part now as well over at ATS.io. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody, and I will talk to you again tomorrow. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.